The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. On October of the year 331 B.C., before Christ, Alexander the Great made a triumphal entry into the great city of Babylon after conquering the Persian Empire. He was greeted by thousands of people, thousands of, of the city's inhabitants. He was showered with gifts, and the people praised him as a god. Alexander drove through the city as a king, mounted on his horse. Alexander would die. He would die some 12 years later after this triumphal entrance. Also back in July of the year 46 BC, the Emperor Julius Caesar, after uh, his victories over Gaul, the, the modern modern day France today, after his victories, he came and made a triumphal entrance into the city of Rome, where he was greeted by the masses. He was hailed as a hero and the savior of the republic. The streets were filled with flowers and decorations as Caesar drove on his chariot pulled by four white horses and accompanied by musicians and dancers. What, what a festive time. He would die about two years later on this day. On this Palm Sunday, some 2,000 years ago, in 30 or 33 AD, an itinerant preacher by the name of Jesus made his triumphal entrance into the city of Jerusalem. He was greeted by the masses as a king, as he rode a donkey through the city to the Holy Temple. He would be murdered. He would be murdered less than a week later. Now, there, are, there is major differences between those military leaders, Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great, and other leaders who have made triumphal entrances into their cities, as opposed to the triumphal entrance by Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. When Jesus came, he came to change the course of human history. Yes, when he came, he turned the world upside down. That's right. When he came to this world, he came to deal with the problem of sin in this world. 
He came to ransom the many who believe in him. So why should we care? I mean, those are reasons enough. But if you're pondering, thinking that that happened some 2,000 years ago, and why should it be important for you today? Well, that's what our passage is about. Because Jesus came to cleanse his Father's holy house and restore it to a house of prayer, and restore it to a house of prayer for all the nations. This evening, as we continue our series, our sermon series, through this season of Lent, we have come to the last week of Jesus' life. What we will see is exceedingly glorious. The temple in Jerusalem, for centuries, even prior to the arrival of the Son of God, even prior to Jesus' arrival, had been a place, a meeting place, where God would meet with his people. A place where God could com commune with his people. But corruption had come to the temple. The religious leaders and the people God's people have contaminated the holy temple. <coughs> Excuse me. The religious leaders and the people of God had contaminated the temple. Now the Son of God incarnate was on the scene. He had come, he had arrived to cleanse his, the holy temple, his father's temple. But this would only be symbolic compared to what he will accomplish. But he was accomplishing, living the life, a perfect life, and what he would accomplish in the next few days. So let's take a look at our passage. Let's find out what is going on in our passage. What is taking place as Jesus makes his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem? The question we got to ask first is why Jesus is there. Why is Jesus there? Why are Jesus and his disciples there? Well, they're there because there's a big festival going on. They're celebrating the Passover feast. You recall the Passover feast is a Jewish tradition in remembrance of what God did, the exodus, the great exodus of the Jewish people, the Israelites, as God sent plagues in Egypt, to Egypt, with the last plague being the, the, the death of every firstborn, Jew or Gentile, it didn't matter. So they're remembering that. And they had a festival, a feast of the, Jew, of, the, of the Passover. That's what's going on. That's what Jesus is coming into. That's why he's there. Well, there's more than that, but that's, that's why he shows up at this particular time. So what does he accomplish? What does he accomplish by making this triumphant entrance? Well, he fulfills prophecy. It was prophesied centuries before by the prophets Zechariah and Isaiah. They said this. They said, daughters of Zion, 
Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. What is occurring is amazing. Okay, you gotta, if you put yourself back into what's going on and what the people are seeing, they're all gathered. We're talking about a million, a million plus people gathered because of the Passover. Everyone is required once a year to come to the temple for sacrifices, making sacrifices to their sins. So they got to come from all over. Everyone was there from everywhere. We've talked about this in the past. Jesus is there and his disciples. So all this is going on, and all of a sudden, this man, this preacher, shows up, and everybody's heard about him or has seen him before. They have seen this man performing miraculous signs, miracles. He's controlled the weather. He has healed the sick. He has raised the dead. And now he shows up mounted on a, on a donkey. A, a, a beast of peace, not war. This man enters Jerusalem riding a donkey. Their joy, uh, they were ecstatic. They, they were, they were, their joy overwhelmed them. And so they greeted Jesus as a king. They threw palm branches before him like a royal welcome, like a red carpet. Hence the name Palm Sunday. Palm branches. And when they ran out of palm branches, they threw their cloak, they threw their, their jackets, their, co their coats before him as he made his way all the way through the city to the holy temple. That's what's taking place. And while they're doing it, they're shouting. They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. This event took place 2,000 years ago. It took place in human history. There's no denying it. It's not made up. It's not the stuff of comic, comic books. It's real. It's real history, human history. It is significant even to, for us today. Today, 2,000 years later, it demonstrates that God's promises made centuries before will take place. They will come to fruition. Promises that God makes will happen, do happen. Any promises that he makes, including the promise that because you've received Christ as your Savior, he has made a promise to you saying that you are saved. You are kingdom bound. Those promises cannot be broken. They're God promises. This is an example of a God promise. It came to fruition. Centuries later, centuries after they were made. Even the promise that we get even for today, that we're looking forward to, the second coming of Jesus Christ, that is a God promise. Written in Holy Scripture. That promise will happen. It will come to pass. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready for that to happen? It could happen today. Especially with all the things that are going on, it could happen today. Are you, are you ready? God is a promise keeper. He keeps his promises. He does, they cannot, they cannot be broken. They will be realized. Are you ready?
So Jesus makes his way. He makes his way to the holy temple, and, and what he sees there angers him. It angers him. The religious leaders have allowed God's holy temple to become a, a place of commerce. And I'm talking about the temple grounds. If you can imagine, you have the temple, the building itself. Now, this is the second temple, so it was huge. You imagine the building, the holy temple itself, and then it's got the, the, the temple grounds outside. All of it is sacred. All of it is sacred. It is all part of the temple. And he gets to the outer court of the temple, which is, by the way, a place where non-Jews could come and worship God, a place where non-Jews, that would be us, Gentiles, they could come. They, back then, they were referred to as God-fearers. They're not Jews, but they're God-fearers. They know the God of, of Israel, and they, they want to worship him. Well, they had a special place at the temple in the courtyard. That was a sacred place. It was a place it was a, a place for his house, his house of prayer, where they could come and worship God. Well, the Jews didn't really care about that place. There was just some extra land there. And they were looking to make a profit, to make a little money. They were going to try to help the people make sacrifices. Remember, they were all coming in to make a sacrifice to God. And they're coming from all over the nation. And, and you gotta, we got to admit that it could be very burdensome to them to bring an animal from their farm, wherever they're coming from. And it has to be a perfect animal, it has to be an unblemished animal. It cannot be leftovers. It cannot be like our tithes or our offerings. Our offerings and tithes cannot be leftovers. They have to be first fruits. Well, it has to be their first fruits. So a journey as to coming to Jerusalem could, could cause injury to their and to their sacrifice. So a lot of them would just wait till they come to the city to buy their animals there. That is great. That's okay. People made money off of that. But the problem was that they were doing this on the on temple ground, on holy ground. And that's what Jesus is seeing. And that's what angers him. That's what angers him. Now, we have to picture this, okay? Picture this. Remember, in the city of Jerusalem, because of what's going on, there must have been over a million people there. And they're going to the temple. They're, they're maybe not at the same time, but they're all coming to, to, to get it to sacrifice animals for their sins of that year. So there's, in, on the temple grounds, in this courtyard, there's got to be hundreds upon hundreds of people. But not only that, because they're, they're, there's a commerce going on, they're selling, they made, they're, they're made a, a stockyard here, they're selling the animals on the temple grounds. There's, there's hundreds of animals there. There, there. There's bulls, there's cattle, there's goats and sheep and birds, doves, pigeons, all over the place. And there's priests everywhere because they're killing the animals and making sacrifices. You can... Imagine the bloody mess that's going on. Now, the sacrifice was legit. They would be legit. That's what God is calling them to do. But the selling of animals was also included in there. You can imagine what animals do when animals go anywhere. That anger is Christ our Lord. 
And the other gospels say you made a whip. And what does he do next? In his holy, godly anger, he overturns the tables of the money changers and, and, and he drives out all the people and drives out all the livestock that were there. He drives them out completely. Listen, that is a miraculous event. Uh, this is a miracle in itself. The best way to, to imagine this is imagine going to the, to the livestock show and rodeo here, it, here in San Antonio, as some of us have gone, and go to where they, the cattle and all the livestock are, and, and see a lot of people there and a lot of livestock there. Well, can you imagine one person, one man, driving everybody out of there? That's what happened. He drove everybody out. Miraculous. It was a miracle. And then after he drove them out, he wouldn't allow anybody to pass an animal through there. Now, they could bring an animal and sacrifice, but we wouldn't let them just pass through there to sell. Then he turns to religious leaders and all the people that witnessed this miraculous event. He turns to them and says, it stands written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. That is beyond the nation of Israel, all the nations of the world. But you have made it a den of thieves. You have made it a den of thieves, a den of robbers, if you will. Here, Jesus is quoting two Old Testament scriptures, passages. Okay, one of them is Isaiah 56, verse 7, where God states this. God states this through the lips of Isaiah. He says that foreigners, foreigners, this means non-Jews, this means Gentile, foreigners will join themselves to me, to God. They will love the name of the Lord and be my servants, be God's servants. This is prophesied. Foreigners are coming and they're going to be a part of God. They're going to be his servants. They're going to glorify the name of God. And it goes on to say that the Lord will bring them to his holy mountain and make them joyful in his house of prayer. House of prayer. What did Jesus just say? Jesus, what did Jesus just say to the religious rulers? He calls the temple a house of prayer. So he's prophesying. And the other verse, uh, another passage he's, he's alluding to is found in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, where it is prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah that, that the people will make his house, God's house, which is called by God's name, a den of robbers, a den of thieves, a den of robbers. Two prophecies that Jesus is playing with, and he's saying it's going on right now. That's what's happening. What we are celebrating on this Palm Sunday took place on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. And it, did, and it took place in human history. Jesus goes to the temple in Jerusalem and cleanses the temple. He cleanses this temple by restoring it to become, to be a house of prayer for all the people of the world, Jews and non-Jews. This event not just is not just historical. In part of history, it is. 
but is also spiritually symbolic. It is spiritually symbolic. It is a spiritually symbolic then because Jesus is doing what he is doing with his life, living the perfect life and coming and cleansing out the temple and what will happen in the next few days with his death and resurrection is cleansing the temple of God. We'll cleanse the temple of God. God's holy temple is a building that Jesus cleansed. That temple, the temple that we're talking about, that's spoken about in our passage, no longer exists. It was destroyed by the Roman army in 70 AD. It no longer exists. But what Jesus does, what Jesus accomplishes, still stands. Why? Because we, we are the new temple of God. You and I, we, the church, are the new living temple of God. So if we're the living temple of God, what does that make us? A house of prayer. A house of prayer. Because God reigns in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it says in the New Testament about God reigning in you and me through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Jesus is faithful over God's temple, God's house, as a son. And we, we are his temple. We are his house. Indeed, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope in him. We are that temple. We are that house. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 says this. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You who believe in Jesus, you who have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are that temple. You are the living stones that make up the church, the God's temple. It's you. And that's what we need to be clear of. As we reflect on the passage, we need to know that. We need to know that we are that temple, that we are a house of prayer. We are the house of prayer. Individually and corporately, we need to hear and know and be reminded of what St. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's us. It's us. We, you, are a house of prayer. God's temple was called for centuries God's house of prayer. We as Christians, and we know that that, that temple has been destroyed, but we as Christians are now the living stones of God's new temple, his church, and are therefore called to live life Live life as a prayer, 
Have you thought about that? Have you ever pondered what it is? Man, what does it look like to live my life as a prayer to God? You, as a God's house of prayer, you live your life as a prayer to God. Have you thought about that? Ever pondered it? You're creating, we're being called to do it, not just individually, but corporately. How do we, how do you live your life as a prayer to God? Well, it begins by having communion with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It cannot happen any other way. Without Christ, it is not going to happen. Listen, without Christ, God doesn't even listen to you. Regardless of who you are, what religion or whatever, if you're not in Christ, you can pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and God won't even hear it. It is detestable to God. You're, you're sinful. You're, you're wicked and evil. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we're, that we're saved, that we're cleansed. God cleanses us. He has cleansed us, and we're now able to commune with God direct through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how it starts. By communing with God. Communion with God means prayer. It means worship. It means prayer and worship. Continuous communing with God. Now, how do we continually commune with God in prayer? Well, I mean, it, it's difficult. I mean, it, Paul calls us to pray without ceasing. But what, he's made, but what he means by that is what it's talking about here is by how you live your life. Prayer, like we're praying now because we're worshiping God. We also can pray by praying to God the way we do. Take it a moment. It could be in your, in your closet or anywhere else. It could, be, it could be corporate, praying to God. It goes without ceasing. Living your life of obedience, living a life of submission. That's prayer, prayer offered up to God. A life of submission and servanthood. I, I, I want to be a part of a church, and I believe in Jesus, some would say. But I don't have time to be God's servant. I don't have time to serve his church. I got so many other things. We talked about time earlier. Hey, time's running out. It's going faster and faster. As the older we get, it just goes faster and faster. Why? Because that's part of the curse. We have to be on sacred time. When you think you're running out of time, I want you to take a moment to, while you're communing with God to think, hey, this is sacred time. Why is it sacred time? Because it's time that God has given you right now. It's time that God has given you to live your life in submission and in servanthood to him. And you can be a, a submissive servant by doing your job and going to work and reflecting Christ at work and doing all the other things that you're called to do, even to make a living. It's sacred time because that's God's time that he's given you. Oh, but listen, I got to get on Facebook or I got to go on to social media. Oh, you know what? I got a novella tonight. I got to go watch. Is that sacred time? Or is that time out? Do we get time out from sacred time? No, we don't. When you sit there and watch pornography or you sit there and watch a novella that you know that, that you know is obscene. Oh, but man, it's not all obscene. It just got a little part that's obscene. The rest of it's pretty good. You're on sacred time, and God is sitting right next to you. Christ is right there with you. 
and you're watching it together. Are you glorifying God with your sacred time? Because that's what you're living on right now, sacred time. You have, I mean, following God is continuing to grow in the spirit. And we continue to grow in the spirit by making, by breaking bad habits and developing good habits of being Christ followers. Living on sacred time is marked by humility. It's marked by faith, believing in him. It's marked by forgiveness, being able to forgive others. It's marked by spending time with him, even it's quiet time with him saying, I had a hard day and I was mad today and I cursed in my mind. I cursed a loved one or a, even, not, even if it's an enemy who we may not like, but we're called to love. Repent. Tell him, talk to him, tell him you need his love. Tell him you need his grace. Tell him you need his comfort. Tell him you need to, for him to calm you down before you go to sleep. You know, a good way to do that is you got to set time to be with him at night. And don't do it when you're laying down. I can testify to that. Because if you're laying down, what's going to happen? You're going to fall asleep. So what do we do? And that, because this is sacred time. We're not, he, he's not leftovers. Of what you got of the the remainder of your day, he's not. He's first fruits. So you stand up, or you sit down, sit. That's fine. Or kneel. Wow, what a better posture than that. And then just spend time with him, and see how see how wonderful your time is. And before you know it, it'll be longer than you think. But that's okay because you you're you're on sacred time. With him, it's not leftover time, sacred time with him. You demonstrate your sacred time with him. You demonstrate your life as a prayer to God by worshiping him now in corporate worship or in personal worship. Now, a few minutes ago, I talked about these conquerors that came and conquered nations and conquered countries and conquered kingdoms. Those kingdoms are all gone. Those conquerors are all dead. And it's hard to believe that that's going to happen to the United States, the kingdom of the United States of America. That's going to fall. It's going to fall. Oh, man, how can you say that? Hey, the Bible says that. It's going to come to an end. You know, I don't have to convince you of that. You know, let's look at all the things that are going on. They're coming in and killing babies. And babies are killing babies. Babies are possessed by demons and killing other babies in Christian places of worship. Look at everything that's happening. You think God is going to bless this nation? Well, he's blessed us long enough. And we thank him for the time he's given us. But see, you have a special role in all this. You are out there. You are involved. You are in the world. And you are representing God's house of prayer by living your life as a prayer and by sharing the good news of eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing that we can do. I'm just going to give you a quick example, another quick example of what I mean by this broken planet, this broken country. I was, I was sent a video this earlier this afternoon and it was about a, a TV spot, and it has this guy who, whose name is Ronald, 
uh, Ron Reagan, and he was a like a political analyst. Uh, he was real famous a few years ago. Some of you might remember him. And he, there's a relationship there, yeah, somewhere uh, with the pre ex president. But uh, anyway, he 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 he's on TV, and he's saying that he wants people to give to his foundation for religion. Uh, no, here's the name of the foundation. The name of the foundation is Freedom from Freedom from Religion Foundation. He wants you to give people to give to Freedom from Religion Foundation. And he says, hey, I am a self-proclaimed atheist. I am a self-proclaimed atheist who is not afraid to burn in the fires of hell. Hey, look, the, what's the saying? That the gates of hell will be locked from the inside? People who reject Jesus, they're there. They're, they're out there. They're, they're, they're calling for help to get rid of the Christians, so to speak, and, and to stop us from sharing the good news, which is why we're here. It is real. It is not make-believe. Unfortunately, we pray for him, and we pray for other atheists, because their only hope is in the king who made his triumphal entrance on Palm Sunday some 2,000 years ago. Your life must be lived as a prayer to the Almighty. Yes, man, to the one who loves you and has given his life for you. Let us pray. Gracious Father. Thank you for the blessings of your word and what you've revealed to us today. And you're You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching his word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness. Thank you.